Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Say, we'd like to get started. I talk to you and you talk to me. Who are you talking to at this hour? Mr. Bradley. You better start talking. Let's start the talking. I could talk all night. My mind is Jay talking. Bradley J. J talking WBZ. WBZ News Radio 1030. Here we go. You're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. Mark Lovato is in the producer seat. He's, he has the con. Our guest is Michael Coyne. Michael, hello. How are you tonight, Bradley? I am very well. Michael is the dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. And our pal, and we love when he comes in each month, he just happens to be in uh, on election eve, and we're going to talk about election stuff. I feel a little bit strange. I'm... Fighting off a cold. I've taken cold medicine. I'm a little spacey, so bear with me. You just had a cold, right, Michael? I just am getting over one. So, so I... Stay far away. We <laughs> won't, won't shake hands. Hopefully you have a lot of antibodies left over from... Uh, hopefully uh, we both can benefit from uh, our recent experiences with uh, a little bit of illness. And folks, you may remember that Michael busted his leg some time ago, four months ago. Can we get an update on that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm feeling better. Uh, I'm doing my physical therapy, and we're pushing through it. Uh, and uh, I'm still walking with the limp, but it uh, gets a little better every day, and uh, I'm feeling stronger. I Hopefully, uh, re- relatively soon, I'll be, be able to do the same physical activities I did before my uh, July accident. But uh, as we all know, uh, you don't heal as fast when you're older as when you're younger, and so... Um, we still have a, I still have a ways to go. My doctor says, and I've got a great doctor and okay, a great good. physical therapist. He's still great. The doctor He is still great. Okay, he, no, good. he really is. I'm very lucky. The treatment I received at the Lawrence okay. general hospital and the physicians and the staff were just terrific. I'm very lucky. It could have been much, much worse for me. Okay. And you shared something with me that you said we could share together on the radio. It's kind of, sure. kind of a secret <laughs> that's later on towards the end. Hopefully I remember to do it. Okay. But Michael has something interesting, kind of a, kind of a secret thing to share. <laughs> that sounds uh, rather uh, cryptic and uh, ominous. And awesome. <laughs> and awesome. Sure. So yesterday, a guy named Gary in Woolburn called. Hi, Gary. Gary said, I don't vote. It's all blah, blah. And he seemed to. I took it as he was just lazy and he had excuses why it was pointless to vote. Why do we need to vote? Well, I think if anything, and I've seen more uh, prompts by people who would normally be considered just regular citizens to get your butt off the couch and go vote because every vote matters. And I think if anything, these times have told us um, because we are so polarized now between 
uh, one party and the other between liberal and conservative and all the rest of it, that if you want to have some influence over the direction we're heading in, the way in which we as ordinary citizens get to do that is to, to get off the couch and vote. And if anything, the last few months and years should have taught us is that your vote actually does matter. Um, because now we have a Supreme Court justice who has been recently appointed who will, for the next 30-plus years, uh, influence all of our activities and our children's activities because of his seat on the Supreme Court. And, and that's just one way in which the last election has, has changed what our future looks like and, and where we stand. And obviously, the congressional candidates are elected every couple years. There's a constant change, or could be if people were so inclined, to have uh, a different people representing them uh, at both in the State House and, and down in Congress. And the only way you get to have a say in that outcome is by voting. Um, and as I think other people have said over the years, you know, what many of us disregard as our civic duty, uh, citizens of other countries would die to have the opportunity for a free and open election like that. That's exactly when I, what I felt when I walked up to the little booth. I thought, gee whiz, here I'm walking up, no big deal, where other people have had to fight their way to the booth and they have had to risk their life to vote. And, and, and that, isn't that right? I mean, and, and the fact is, is that in many places, the ability to be able to go in and vote for your choice isn't a given at all. And in fact, it can be a life-threatening situation to try and exercise what, what we take as a given and oftentimes disregard. So to the extent that it is inconvenient to vote and a little difficult to get to the polls, uh, that's a, that, that may well be true. But the fact is, I've always thought that if, if you're not prepared to do any of the work, then you don't get to complain and, and, and argue about what should have taken place. All you have to do, your part of the work here, isn't to hold an election sign or do anything else. It's to just drive down or get yourself down to the polls, take the few minutes to read the ballot, and, and actually cast your vote. And um, I hope uh, and I think the turnout this time will be relatively high because I think love them or hate them, love the Republicans or hate them, and the same thing with the Democrats, is that this uh, last two years at this point has stirred people deeply um, to, to action. We'll see if that, in fact, is true. I, I think it's true. Um, we'll see if that, in fact, is, turns out to be the case today because this is a very important day uh, as Election Day. Mark, reminds me, polls open at 7.00. In the morning. It's coming right up in under seven hours. Gary and Warburton, if you're still out there, I forget really what was your ju what your justification was for not voting. I'd be interested to have you call again. You get a free call if you want to call 617-254-1030. And remind me what your justification was for not voting. You actually hung up on me. I'll forgive you, Gare. It's okay. Now, uh, when you voted already, right? I did, and I think that's uh, a really healthy, interesting development. It's the first time I voted early. Um, I decided one morning to, to do a few of my errands and go to the drugstore, go to vote, and go get my hair cut. Um, and it was, it was actually a terrific way to start the morning because oh, yeah. um, parking was relatively easy. Uh, the, the people were incredibly cordial and polite at my town hall. Um, 
and I got to take care of what I saw as something important uh, to do and make sure that, that despite weather, despite other potential challenges, that my vote was cast. And, and it gave me a very positive feeling about the day to then continue the rest of the day like that. The, the only thing that was a little odd to me, and especially because of the usual practices in our town and in our state, is that I had to show an ident- uh, ID, my le- mass license, in order to be able to get uh, the ballot. And then when I did get my ballot and voted, I then had to place it into an envelope and then sign the outside of it and provide my address on the outside of the the envelope. And that I did it all because I, I wanted to cast my vote early. But there was a little bit of discomfort in um, having to provide both my name on the envelope and my address because then the the anonymous voting aspect has been lost because anyone then could see exactly how I voted. Yeah. I'm not... Um, I'm not ashamed or even concerned about someone seeing how I voted. I'm generally relatively opinionated and vocal. Uh, but there is something a little bit disconcerting about losing that that anonymity, which I think we all value when the vote is secret. Well, sure. It could have an impact on you. You're an, a notable citizen in your community. You're involved with the Massachusetts School of Law. You are the dean. Someone in the election committee there in your town could... See your name. Hey, look, it's Dean Coyne. Let's see how he voted. Oh, my God. He voted this way? Oh, that's awful. It's it's absolutely possible. And I agree. I I share your concern about putting your name in the envelope that that contains your ballot. Does anyone else share that concern? What do we need to vote in Massachusetts? What do you need to take with you? My, My experience was different, by the way. I did not need to show an ID. They asked me the first, the first four letters of my last name, first four letters of my first name. And street, and that was what what all I needed to do. But I also got the the ballot and the envelope. And I, but I did not need. I don't believe I needed to put my name on the outside. Well, and see, generally when I go vote on election day, I simply provide my name and my street, and they check off my name. They give me a ballot. And then when I'm exiting, they do the same thing again, I'm sure, to check on accuracy accounts and the like. Uh, But no one has ever asked me for any form of identification previously. And generally in Massachusetts, and for that matter, other New England states, Maine and Vermont, they don't require any type of identification in order to, to vote in the election generally. But so so in part, this process that they used in in my town uh, has to be a process specifically for early voting to perhaps make sure that I d- don't vote again. But in some ways, if they checked my name off the right. list, yeah. they would know that when Election Day comes, I can't vote again. So I, I don't really quite understand what the process would be or why the necessity is to have me sign a an envelope that includes the contents of my choices for election because— that would that does seem to me a bit intrusive, but I also recognize that people are concerned and we, rightly concerned about voter fraud and the like, even if it's a minuscule number of people actually try to uh, deceive the election officials and, and vote more than once or vote fraudulently. So if you were all-powerful, 
would you have it be the case you signed the ballot envelope or not? I would say not. I do think, for instance, even though you said people could use my votes against me, I, 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 I actually don't care if people know what I did or what their specific candidate or ballot question. To me, if I feel strongly enough to actually cast my vote, uh, I feel strong enough to defend my choices with respect to that. Uh, but, but, but that in part is I'm, I'm, I am a paid advocate for the most part. I can see where other people that would, would potentially chill their uh, free voting and their choices if their choices would be made public. For instance, take some of the ballot questions that were more recently about the legalization of marijuana and the like. There would be not just that, but other ballot questions where people might not want their um, their opinion with respect to their choice on that issue made public. Uh, to me, that's that's understandable for a variety of reasons, and perhaps a variety of even the ballot questions on uh, that are on with us today. But the fact is, is that. Uh, there will be people, I think, that would be affected thinking that their their choice could ultimately be disclosed, and that may either prevent them from ball- from voting at all or vote for something that's inconsistent with their personal choice simply out of fear. And we are focusing initially here on legal stuff that is related to election stuff. And uh, last few years, the voter selfie is a thing or not, and... This time around, can we take a voter selfie? And if not, why not? Michael, can we take voter selfies? Depends on where it depends on where you are. Really, in, in Massachusetts? It, no, in Massachusetts, it is illegal to take a voter selfie, um, which is kind of odd, uh, I think. Uh, but part of the uh, reason is that it's about a privacy issue. At least that's ostensibly why people argue it is. Uh, But when we look at other states, for instance, Vermont uh, makes it acceptable. A number of states say it's not illegal. But there are some states, Massachusetts among them, that say you cannot do it. And if you do it, uh, you potentially uh, are going to face penalties for having done so. New York does the same thing. Uh, They don't, and these are rarely enforced. But there are many states, about half actually probably, it splits down kind of evenly, where it is illegal to take uh, selfies in the voting booth uh, out of concern, at least in part, as it's expressed, that your ballot could be disclosed and so that could assist with voter fraud and the like. It's kind of a silly justification. I think almost in part it's because, well, you never could do that. Well, now technology allows us to... And we know a lot of people, especially younger people, like to share virtually every experience of their life with social media. And voting is one that, in part, people now like to share. They also feel that it encourages potentially others when they see that to, oh, oh, it's election day, I got to go vote. It's a trigger. I did my professional, my my, uh, civic responsibility. Others should do the same. And so some argue that the reason the ban on not being able to do it is foolish, this would promote greater civic responsibility. And it's kind of an archaic prohibition when we do see pictures of virtually every aspect of some folks' life. What's the big deal about taking a selfie in the booth? So if someone came in here right now and grabbed me and took me to court and said, I need you to argue on behalf of the selfie, I would say, why isn't this a... First Amendment issue. You're allowed to tell people who you vote for. 
what if this person chooses to tell them by way of a photo? Well, and, and I think that's a very good argument. And, you know, I could see you take videos everywhere you go. Why couldn't you walk through the process of voting and post that video online or elsewhere so that others who may not be as familiar with the process could see even how it works? So Almost, this is, yeah, don't be afraid. This is what you do. Right, an instructional piece. Yeah. Or, or even to take a hard look at the ballot as you're looking through some of these ballot questions and explain what that might really mean because, you know, uh, when I went to vote early, um, uh, one of the uh, people doing the checkoffs uh, was older, uh, and she said to me, uh, did you bring your glasses with you? Uh, and as it turned out, I did not. And she looked at me with a little bit of a disapproving look like, this print is small and it's kind of dense, you should have brought your glasses, buddy boy. And frankly, she was right. I, I could read it uh, without my glasses. But if one looks at the ballot questions we're looking at in Massachusetts, uh, they are not easily uh, read. They are small print. And, and one is left oftentimes looking at that language like I really need to think about whether a no is the right way I want to go or a yes because – Part of it is it, it, it almost is written in a way that would seem to confuse the issue. And, and so it is important to, to, at times, I think, have an educated public, especially about the ballot questions. Um, and and that, that would help if we had more public information available, even to the point of a video or selfies, just to remind people of how that process works. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, to have this prohibition there, um, if, as long as, frankly, you're not capturing other voters right. who are do, doing whatever they're doing and the like, if you're capturing yourself, the, I don't see why there'd be why it isn't at least some ways an expression of your First Amendment rights. What might also be interesting is to go in and take a video of you, and you go through your thought processes on the video. You take a look at the Senate race and say, well. There's this candidate and the pros and cons for this candidate. But on the other hand, that might be fun, too. Well, I, and I do think you could have some fun with that. And I, I actually do think that there will be people who, uh, especially we know that our, our own uh, incumbent senator is, is, can be very polarizing at times. And I wonder how that process will work. Um, the opponent has his own sets of baggage as well how people will look at that race. And I think it's actually a, a, a very interesting race to see what the results are, because in some ways, uh, I think our Senate candidate here in Massachusetts is in part a referendum on Trump or Warren, not on Warren's opponent. And so it'll be interesting to see what how, how that ultimately works its way through. But again, more information and more uh, public inspection of that, to me, doesn't hurt. You know who you know who got in trouble for at least a little bit of trouble for taking a selfie no. in the voting booth. Justin Timberlake ah. down in Tennessee. Justin Timberlake took it and posted it on his Instagram account of him having voted in in and he's in the voting booth. And in Tennessee, it is in fact illegal to take a selfie in the voting booth. No penalty or punishment came from it, but there was a quite suggestion that at the time he posted it on Instagram, he could be. Uh, charged with some type of violation of the statute because in Tennessee it is a pro it's pro you're pro prohibited from taking selfies in in the 
um, election booth. And, and, and you have to ask yourself, why do rules like that exist today? Is, is it that the technology simply has really greatly outpaced um, our, our laws when you look at something and say, well, how come? And the how come doesn't readily become apparent. Right. Uh, if you would like to join us, please do. 617-254-1030. You might want to register with us whether you think that prohibition against selfies in the voting booth is ridiculous or it has some merit. And, uh, well, the next thing we'll talk about is election laws for the limited uh, folks with limited English proficiency. We have about a minute, and then we'll break and get deeper into it. But give me the overview on that. Well, I think it raises a couple issues. There's a voting Voter Rights Act by, passed by the federal government that says if a certain percentage of the population within a given county is not proficient in English, is in essence illiterate in the in in English, some of these. The, the language that these ballot questions are written in or some of the more complicated decisions that the voters have to make. If a certain percentage of the voters are not literate in English or if more than, say, 10,000, there's numbers within it, are not proficient in English, then the uh, government has to provide a voter assistance with respect to their native language that they speak to try and make the uh, process of voting uh, more e- easier and uh, likely more successful. Do you happen to know what the what the numbers are? How many people have to be not proficient at English to get them printed up in some well, other language? If more than ten thousand ten thousand in Massachusetts in the county in, county. in a given county, yeah. or five percent of the population in that given county, it starts to trigger this Voter Rights Act. So we do have communities. Um, certainly in north of Boston, where I am, we have a significant immigrant populations in both Lowell and Lawrence. Um, and so the question becomes is if there are enough of that population that isn't proficient. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In English, such that then the ballot questions, and, and we can talk about that because even. Proficient in English, we both know that those ballot questions, having voted early, those ballot questions are kind of convoluted um, and difficult even for people who try to follow the issue to be able to know that they're voting in accordance with their heart, the the way in which they want to get the proper result. If you think about it, if you weren't uh, sufficiently proficient in English, you, you might as well just not bother to even vote on some of these issues. So what this is designed to do is try to make sure that there would be translation assistance available in the native language if, in fact, um, that we know that there's a significant population that would otherwise be disenfranchised. And and this is a federal act that requires this when a certain threshold is met. What I find interesting about it is that I'll I'll bet there are people out there who think, well, listen, part of being a citizen here and being able to vote um, is you should be able to read the language of that ballot, and the language here, for better or worse, is English. And to the extent you can't do that, 
then you shouldn't complain about not being able to participate because that's a choice. Well, uh, and, and I can understand why some might take that position, but what people have to recognize is there's also a federal act that the Voter Rights Act that does support making sure that, that when the county, a certain percentage of that county is unable to participate because of these language restrictions, then the county is under some obligation to make sure that that ballot is accessible to all, and that will mean that you'll need to make translation services available. And, and that's the federal law. You don't like it, then change the federal law, but the fact is, is there are laws on, in, uh, in existence that support actually being able to assist people who have limited English proficiency in, their, in, in order to exercise their, their right to vote. 617-254-1030. Folks, what do you think about that? Are you on board with the federal law that requires language assistance for folks who are not proficient in English when it comes to voting? How do they determine the percentages? Through the census? Yeah, exactly. It's through the census. They, ha- they do a, a, a survey and take a look at the data through census. And it's not as cut and dried as 5% of the population or the minimum of 10,000. What they try to do is look at to see what actual percentage is affected by um, the inability to be able to be proficient in English versus, you know, sort of the average um, illiteracy in English that would be found elsewhere. And based on that assessment, they then determine if there's a sufficiently significant population in that county that needs this voter assistance in order to be able to effectuate their their right to vote. And if there is, then you have to provide that assistance. Um, and and it's monitored by the federal government as well to make sure that that assistance, which obviously ca- comes with some cost, is provided in order to be able to make the, the, the right to vote a right to all uh, people who are eligible. Okay, let's go to the actual ballot questions where you need to be pretty proficient in English and logic to figure them out, uh, particularly, I guess, three, ballot question three. Yeah, three, when I looked at three, and, and I, you really did have to think about whether what a yes vote meant and what a no vote meant. And that sort of brings us to this related issue, is, is shouldn't all of these ballot questions, and I, and I think that they strive for it, but the question is, shouldn't they be written in plain English so that it's simple, it is clear, as to what a yes vote means and what a no vote means. And I, and I know that that's the intent of a lot of these, but Jeekas, for some of these questions, when you start to look at them, you really have to read them multiple times to figure out if a yes or a no vote meets your wishes. And, and so part of that, in some ways, is influenced by the ads and everything else that you hear as to what a yes vote means and what a no vote means. But at the end of the day, it's incumbent upon us in the privacy of the voting booth to make sure we read the language carefully and try to determine exactly which one meets, meets our, our desires. And the yes and no vote is with respect to the transgender rights and the like. Seems to me that the way it's worded is leading. And it says to the folks who would vote against it that they are discriminating. Basically, it says, do you want to discriminate against transgender people? Well, and I use the word discrimination in the question 
Uh, it's a sh- it's shady to me. Well, but remember, these are often those ballot questions are citizen initiatives. And so the people who are proposing the ballot question generally have an agenda that they are looking to meet. And part of meeting your agenda is if you word it in such a way that people are more likely than not to vote in favor of whatever your proposition is, part of that is wording. Who would want to be to label themselves as, yes, I favor discrimination? Most people in their gut says, well, I don't, and I have to vote. That means I have to vote no because I don't want to discriminate. Right. And so it's worded intentionally like that in order to generate the desired response that the um, people who initiated that petition are seeking. I'm surprised that there's not state guidance on how to word these things. Like, yeah, you this can this has surpassed the bar to become a question, but you can't word it like that. Well, I think uh, sometimes they're challenged at the at the courts. So that uh, if they're believed to be deliberately misleading and the like, the court can act to try and clean them up. But they also are supposed to be written so that they are in plain English and, and clearly understandable. Because, again, when you think about all of the people that, that are going into the voting booth, uh, they, they come from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of, of uh, languages originally spoken, um, and a variety of educational levels. And so it should be written so that a mass audience can relatively easily figure out what their wishes are and answer. The problem is the, the ones that we're looking at in Massachusetts and some of the other New England states are, are, are kind of dense and a little bit difficult to figure out exactly what you want. Even when we think about ballot question one in Massachusetts, we understand basically what that means. When you actually look at the full measure that's contained on the ballot, it actually lists specific staffing levels at different facilities and for different levels of care within a given facility. It's much more specific than what we have heard with respect to the advertising. Even still, I think this, to me, ballot question one in Massachusetts is the one people have sought the most input on from professionals and others about which way to vote. Um, even still, when you read it, uh, you're still torn and would like additional information is what is the best way to go on this? We know how various uh, people have advertised about the results and what it means, uh, but all of us are for good health care. Which one do we think, a yes or a no vote, means that we're likely to get better health care? And, and I still think it'd be interesting to see how, how the vote ultimately comes out. But I'm, I'm not sure people who are voting have a clear understanding of what's likely to have uh, a more powerful effect on better health care. Someone for, actually dug in air forward to the notion the other day that this is something that shouldn't be on the ballot because it's something that requires expertise that we do not have, that no one has. Well, I do think that that that, that is, in fact, in part correct. I mean— I don't know what the right appropriate just level guess. of nursing we, should be right. on a surgical floor as opposed to a nursing floor as opposed to a, a, a day a day surgery or some some other type of surg, uh, of floor that's non-surgical. I have no idea what the medical professionals would say is an appropriate staffing level. Would would I like more nurses generally? That seems that seems that to make sense. But obviously the question comes at, w- at what cost. 
Um, and so, yeah, this would seem to be one that I'm not sure the public is really well qualified or capable of determining the right answer. But nonetheless, we're stuck with a ballot question that asks us to decide just that. It's interesting. If I don't really know the ins and outs of it, perhaps I should have left it blank. What do you think? That's that's maybe the right thing to do in that case. Well, how is that any different than where we started tonight off with saying, you know, why should I vote at all? Because well, now you're saying, well, why should I really think through it hard and ultimately come up with the decision? Well, I thought through it hard and I don't have the information. I guess that's why. On the other things, and, I have the information. And, and I hear you on that, but then you're still sitting it out when that that vote, that one may well be close. I'm not thinking that it's going to be as close as we th- as I thought originally at this point, but that that measure may need your vote. One way or the other, that measure may need your vote, and and you've decided to take a pass. I, I understand why, because I really don't know what the answer should be. I don't know what my opinion is. I don't feel sufficiently informed to make that call. Right. So, you're so gonna- rest assured, I did vote. I have no idea if I did the right thing or not. Well, but then, so you're leaving it to other people who may be even more unqualified. So I did vote, just so you know. I, I voted on that, but I'll, I, what you're saying, And on though, that, I did vote on that. I, I did, too. But there were other either candidates. I think I voted on all the ballot questions. I'm sure I did. Um, but there were candidates I left blank because I didn't feel strongly either side. Um, so I don't. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't always vote the full ballot simply because it's in front of me. So even though I'm telling you you're sitting it out, there are places I sit out because, you know what, I don't necessarily want to support either candidate. And sometimes I'll write a name in because I feel like writing a name in and voting. Other times there may be portions of the ballot that I'll leave blank um, because I don't want to be seen as supporting either candidate for various reasons. Where does the rubber meet the road and the actual certification saying the language is okay? Is that the attorney general? Is that the secretary of state? I know that the attorney general certifies them. Did they have to approve of the way it's worded to get certified? Yeah, and at the end of the day, the final arbiter will be the Supreme Court of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts will decide if legally that measure can stand. Um, I think it was last year or the year before, there was a measure they struck down with respect to pay or something along those lines of constitutional officers. I forget which measure it was, but they said that this is, oh, it was the uh, millionaire's tax. And they said, no, this is an inappropriate measure to uh, put on the ballot to appeal to public sympathies. Um, And so we're going to remove that from the ballot as an inappropriate exercise of that, uh, the right to petition to, to have a ballot question. And so the court will be the last determinant on who and what can uh, exist on that ballot. Dean Michael Coyne of the Massachusetts School of Law is with us. And we've moved forward to, we have a couple more interesting things to go through. Mueller's report is finally coming out. I mean, it's all wrapped up. Could have come out now, probably. But it hasn't because it's 
considered bad form to release something that may have an impact on an election like this. Although I would say not releasing it is also, it also has an effect. Then, of course, you had the last time it was Jim Comey said something about an investigation. He got all kinds of flack for it. So what are your thoughts on this, Professor Coyne? Um, well, I think Mueller's report will likely, or at least a portion of it, or additional indictments will happen by the end of this month. Um, there is a period before the election where DOJ guidelines generally say you shouldn't take action that could potentially influence the election. And we did see this with Comey and Hillary Clinton's emails and the like. So I do think that, if anything, they're being a little more cautious now. But I do think, realistically, we can expect some activity within the next 30 days. So what are your thoughts on this? If the action of releasing the report would have an effect on the election, then the act of not releasing it also has an equal and opposite effect on the election. I don't think it's equal and opposite. I think it has an effect, but I think not releasing it has a significantly less effect than having released it and and if the findings are that there was collusion or even if the findings are there's no evidence of collusion. Right. um, Either way, that potentially could influence the election where no release of any information doesn't really change what, what many people think either way. I, I think we're at a point, and we're 18 months into the investigation at this point, that that I think, and many people, uh, I think, agree with the, the observation, that if either he's got something that's sufficient that should be reported, or it's time to start to bring this matter to an end, because we've spent a lot of money, it's spent a lot of time, I'm not sure, regardless of what the report says, it's going to change a lot of hearts and minds on the issue of uh, the fitness of the president to to be the president of the United States. Um, And so if you've got evidence of a crime, then indict people and release that information. If you have, after this time, found no information, then that should be reported. And, And just so we can think about the way this works, the, the report doesn't necessarily become public. He has an obligation to report it to his supervisor, who then can decide what happens with the report. And so presently, it's Rod Rosenstein who is his supervisor, so that's who he would report to. The president has indicated that after the elections, after today, he might very well fire Jeff Sessions because he's never been satisfied with the performance of the attorney general. And, and if that happens... All hell breaks loose for, on a variety of, 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 of reasons. What, what that does to us then, um, is that a further obstruction of justice attempt? Uh, is that within his normal powers simply because he's dissatisfied and the, the head of the Department of Justice works at the direction of the president? In, in normal times, that would be the answer. Or are we closer to a situation like um, the Black Friday massacre with Nixon where Richardson and uh, uh, and other colleagues at the Department of Justice have decided that they cannot take part in this anymore. We potentially have have chaos. So I think we're in a period where one way or the other, uh, we're going to have some significant developments and people who are on one side or the other uh, will either be pleased with them or, 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 or displeased 
to a significant extent. So I think we're going to see some interesting developments in this whole mess within the next 30 days. So Mueller reports to Rosenstein. Rosenstein works for Sessions, really, right? Uh, yes, but remember, Sessions has recused himself yeah. in this process okay, so because no, of his involvement. So how will the replacing of Sessions affects that, affect that? Then you have a guy who's not recused, who has no problem in getting involved and would fire uh, Rosenstein. Doesn't have to fire Rosenstein. Just he, he would be Rosenstein's boss. Just say, okay, you got the report. Keep keep it. No, quiet. no, he, he would say the report is now my responsibility because I am okay. Mueller's. Wouldn't uh, need Rosenstein anymore. Wouldn't need him. Uh, and Rosenstein is offered, by all accounts, to resign if the president doesn't want him there, which I would think would be a, to voluntarily resign. Voluntarily resign, I think, is a mistake because I do think, um, like him or hate him, he's at least allowed this process to move forward as Congress would have intended it to move forward. And so if Sessions is out, whoever the new boss is, assuming there's no conflicts, that new boss would decide whether we all get to see the report or or the and the contents of it or not, um, not necessarily Rosenstein, um, and that could be interesting as well because, obviously, a lot of us have given a lot of thought to the issue. We'd like to see what all of this process has resulted in, unless there's more indictments, and I think that's a real possibility here too is that we haven't seen the last of the indictments, that there may be indictments already issued but kept under seal, and that those will be released sometime within the coming weeks as well, perhaps as well as the report indicating that we're nearer the end. One last problem with all of this, though, is he has only recently provided written questions to um, the president with respect to his activities. Even after... He gets those written questions. He may actually want a face-to-face -face meeting where the president actually has to answer questions under oath. The president may not cooperate. We may still be in for another round of legal skirmishes with respect to his ability to subpoena the president for such a, so, a testimony. That said, and with that still outstanding, he may not issue a report at all because you'd want to do that stuff first. You would think that that stuff should be completed before any report is. And the last thing to think about is to the big things that can happen relatively quickly here once the election is over. Manafort scheduled for sentencing on Friday, this Friday in Virginia. We know Manafort has now agreed to cooperate with uh, Mueller's office, uh, likely in return for some leniency in sentencing and a plea deal. Many people believe Manafort does provide that link to, to potentially Russian collusion and the change of the Republican platform at the Republican convention to favor uh, uh, Russian and Ukraine uh, interests. If, if Manafort has the goods, that potentially could provide additional information on Russian collusion. And we may have some of that information in relatively short order because that sentencing is presently scheduled for Friday, part of wow. his sentencing uh, arrangement requires him to cooperate with Mueller's office. There's a, a lot that's going to happen in all likelihood in a relative short order, um, and, and that could include indictments, could include Manafort sentencing, um, and, and it could include indictments that, that, that run at least very close to the president, perhaps.
All right, you're a citizen, so you're allowed to speculate. Any, you're allowed to guesstimate. Any guesses on who may be indicted? If I were Donald Trump Jr.'s, if I were Donald Trump, Trump's Jr. or his lawyer, if I were Jared Kushner's um, uh, lawyer or himself, I would be very worried that that meeting that originally took place in Trump's tower involving them, Manafort, and others could potentially be seen as uh, evidence of collusion if anything float, uh, followed from that. I also think there'd be some concern um, in, in the president's situation with respect to the potential collusion, but less so collusion than potential obstruction of justice from both some of his early comments and actions with respect to the probe itself. Okay, wow, Michael Coyne, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law and friend of Mark Lavallo and myself, friend of Jay Talkin, and friend of you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It's WBZ News Radio 1030. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.